The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to find out how we can produce your podcast. Tonight on our big season two finale, the artist alien connection. Are artists divine beings of light selected by celestial beings to impart messages on mankind? Or are they no good hippie wastes of space on the dole and on the pot? You ain't nothing but a hybrid. Thank you very much. Maddie and Ronnie have entered the building. Let's go! mystery. A paranormal perfect storm known simply as Monsterland. The Monsterland podcast is recorded live in an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of high strangeness, just outside of Monsterland, Massachusetts. And now here are your hosts, paranormal author, researcher, and speaker, Ronnie LeBlanc, and the host of the Curse of Oak Island drilling down on the History Channel, Maddie Blake. Thank you, Michael Devin. Uh, Ronnie, you just saw him play just the saw. other night with Whitesnake. Tell me about that. Friday night, Hampton Beach. It was pretty awesome. Uh, they're still rocking, man. They packed that place out. It was like over a thousand people in that place. Fantastic. The um, ballroom? Yep, ballroom, casino, and uh, hung out with him afterwards for a little VIP thing. And Oh, excuse me. It was fun. It was, I mean, it's whenever he comes to town, it's a freaking Lemonster. Uh, right, because he's like from Lemonster. Yeah. Right, right, right. So um, 80 of us were down there, so it was fun. And they rocked it. Oh, here we go. They did. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, girls. Get your scrunchies. <laughs> Get your hairspray. Your hair crimps. Let's go. Let's go. All right, question, Ronnie. I don't want to. Now, Michael will never listen. You're going to put me in a bad. I'm going to put you in a bad situation. Because <laughs> this has nothing to do with Michael's talent or anything. You were there. Hampton yes. Beach Casino Ballroom's not yes. that, that huge. You must have been close to the stage, mm-hmm. right? Look, seven rows back from the stage. How many high notes does uh, David Coverdale still hit? Hit he hit them all. Did he or I did s- it, or did a or I did swear. a recording track hit all those? I was totally looking for it. I you was, were. I was. I believe it. I, I believe it. <laughs> Hold on, my panties are coming off. What the hell's going on here? Right <laughs> I'm gonna throw my bra up on the stage. Yes, I'm wearing a bra. <laughs> Here I go again. Come on! Ronnie, get off the hood of my car! <laughs> Scratching it with my belt buckle. Why are you wearing a white dress, Ronnie? <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't know you could do a split. <laughs> I think if you got in my car, it would dent the hood. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Devin. Uh, uh, Man. By the way, to think that Tawny Katane just a few years later was in some SUV taking off her stiletto heel and stabbing it into uh, or <laughs> Angel's pitcher Chuck Fenley's leg. What the hell? Hey, man. How the mighty fell. You rock with Coverdale. You never uh, know what's going to happen to you. Ron, uh, Michael Devin tells what might be my favorite musical anecdote of all time, and I should have had him tell it during this interview oh, about uh, David with the yes, singing. Yes, the singing. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I don't even know if I want to... No, do it. I mean, it's Well, because I awesome. want him to tell it, but who knows when next time. But no. basically, it's... This is the most incredible story. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Like, I was moved to tears when he told it to me. Uh, on um, your show. At a, on my show, on my yeah. old radio show. But basically, I'll, I'll give you the 30,000-foot overview, and then someday we'll have Mike, uh, Michael tell it, because obviously yeah. he lived it, and he's a better storyteller. But um, 
he went to be hired by Michael, possibly an audition, uh, by, excuse me, by David Coverdale. And he went to his house and Coverdale had him in and he had him play and do all his bass, crazy virtuoso guitar stuff that he can do. And Michael's like, all right, great. He's like, all right, now you're going to sing. And Michael's like, no, no. I mean, I can sing, but I, I'm not singing in David Coverdale's studio type of thing. Yeah. And he convinced him, well, you have to be able to sing, mate, if you want to be in this band. He goes in and sings and Coverdale comes in and just goes like, no, mate, you're holding back. And whatever he did in that minute or whatever, he kind of coached him up and showed him this how to get that range, like screaming how to let it go. Right? Yeah, yeah, he ah! screamed in his face. He's like, come on, mate, go for it. You're holding back. I know you've got it in you. I've no he said, he closed that door. Michael Devin said, stuff came out of me I never even knew I had. And it was the most incredible moment. And he walked out of the studio. And as I remember him telling the story, he started crying. Right. And because he was just so overwhelmed with emotion. And when he looked up, they were looking at him from like up above. <laughs> and, and David Cover was like, you all right, mate? <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I just think that's the most beautiful story, you know. And, and no, Mike, Mike is a very humble guy. Yeah. And he was, when I was out in LA with him, and um, he was very you know, timid to even play his own music or sing or do anything. Mm. And now he's just a natural friggin' rock star. Yeah. So it's like awesome to see him. He's come out so, of that. Oh my God. And now he's just he's a amazing. blossomed full on rock star hanging with other rock stars. Amazing. Um, it was so funny too. Like I would see these people that I knew, like this Dean Del Rey guy who yeah. came on my show. Yeah. This comedian rocker funny, guy. Funny guy. And then like Bill Burr, They'd be playing music for a concert, and all of a sudden, like they see Mikey, Michael, Michael Devin's <laughs> playing bass. I'm like, all these worlds colliding. Great, yeah, Great Western Forum. Yeah, they, had, yeah. they had the whole thing. They like an ACDC thing. Small and world, dude. It really is. Uh, so I think we should wrap up the music part of this, sure, with the one and only name we could talk about from you know basically Elvis to now. And by the way. I, just Google musicians who claim to have UFO experiences. We haven't even it's scratched lengthy. the surface. And, and it goes on and on and on. And even artists like, Maha, you know, uh, boxers, Muhammad Ali. Yes, yes, absolutely. All these others. So just Google yourself if you don't believe us because we just don't have time to go through the list. There's so many. And by the way, Elvis himself saw UFOs. I don't even know if we mentioned that. Yeah. So, um, but all that has manifested itself into the present day. Mm -hmm. And... We have a guy, we've mentioned him on this podcast before, if you follow this at all, paranormal stuff at all, ufology at all, you know Tom DeLonge, and you know Blink-182, and you know the story. But for those of you who don't, everything we're talking about has culminated till right now, where this famous musician, Tom DeLonge from Blink-182, quit the band to devote himself full-time to UFO studies. Right. That's the story we got, what, five years ago? I don't remember when that yep. story came out. Um. Which in itself, think about what has to happen for a guy to be a rock star in a super successful band and go, you know what? This isn't doing it for me. I got to study UFOs full time. Right. So then he, he's, he's been on, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast. He's talked about this up and down. And now he is the, the go-to guy in entertainment, music, pop culture. He has now transitioned from... I'm an artist who has experienced these things and is into this stuff yeah. to like a major player. He is. He's one of the, what Grant Cameron describes as one of these messiahs that are, that are kind of shepherding this whole disclosure movement forward. Tom just sold the show to History Channel, which is going to be airing about 
A-A-T-I-T and uh, well, all this stuff. He's, and, he's the one who did it. <laughs> <laughs> How about a little Blink-182, David? So he has formed something called To the Stars Academy. Right. And let's play a little game. Let's go to their website right now and see what they're up to. Basically, it's it's a cabal of... Well, Ronnie, you're better at explaining this I mean, stuff with Louis Alejandro and all that. What, tell, tell us what To the Stars Academy is and what, he's, what his mission is. He's literally got the who's who of DOD, CIA... Pentagon guys that are on his board, part of his company that is basically wanting to reconstruct one of these craft and bring it to the public. Public, They want to have this knowledge, this information shared with everybody, with the world, and they're trying to bring this forward with this group that's, I guess, in accordance with the Department of Defense. They're working in orchestration to kind of make this happen. So now if you go to their website, To the Stars Academy, the first thing you see is Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation coming in May on History Channel. It's a to the, uh, to the Stars Academy joint, basically. And they did talk about doing multimedia, TV, mm-hmm. movies. Um, He's got a skater punk animation thing coming yeah. for, I think, I forget which channel, but that's going to be, again, focusing on another group of audience and insert the whole UFO paranormal thing. Their mission is to be a powerful vehicle for change by creating a consortium among science, aerospace, and entertainment that will work collectively to allow gifted researchers the freedom to explore exotic science and technologies with the infrastructure and resources to rapidly transition them to products that can change the world. So that's almost become like a I mean, we're, business we're, mission. Yeah, we're talking about you know uh, Jeff Bezos. We got freaking uh, with Tesla, now him, where, you know, Repopulating planets, learning new de- technologies, all this stuff. And now Tom has talked about being taken into hotel rooms by BIA people <laughs> and being shown the most top secret things. And he says there's more videos coming out, like the Tic Tac UFO videos, right. that we only know the tip of the iceberg. He has come out and basically said, uh, or very, very much hinted strongly, that world government. Not just us. We right. have already joined forces with other governments and actually stopped some of these things that are malevolent. Right. He believes that these are evil. These are Correct. demonic. This is something that they're all bad. And um, we're in Armageddon, the apocalypse kind of a scenario. And now. you know what he says when one appears? I have an interesting Blink story connection, though. Please. So I used to manage a band, a punk band in in college in California, and our bass player, Nate Haney, uh, actually gave Tom DeLonge his first guitar. Oh, my God. And so they all grew up together in Poway, which is a suburb of San Diego, Hmm. and they all went to like church together and all this stuff. But that was my little connection to him. I actually met him in... uh, uh, Tom DeLonge in Rhode Island when they were on the Warp Tour and had a cell number and all this other stuff. And we were going to do like open up for Blink. But then oh Green Day took off. So Blink started opening up for Green Day and that whole thing. So it was pretty cool. Here's an idea. If you know Tom DeLonge, so go get him on the fucking podcast. <laughs> so let's transition. <laughs> Let, let's do a little monster mail because we're going to talk about actors now. And other type of artists. Nya, 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 nya. Let's do a little uh, monster mail, shall we? We've got so many. We'll get to a few. Now it's time for monster mail. Ronnie, how do they get to us? Monsterland Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, we got to catch up with a bunch of social media stuff we did. Um, let's just hit a couple of them. There's too many to get to. But uh, survey we posted: New York ranks fifth in Bigfoot sightings. Uh, they had done a survey, um, 
WIVB.com of the most Bigfoot sightings per state. New York ranked fifth. So we put out the question, who here has seen a Bigfoot in New York? Uh, Crystal said, I had an encounter in Oswego, New York. Fred says, I'm from upstate, and that is where I saw mine, upstate New York. Uh, then there was a story about Bigfoots in Pennsylvania and how many Bigfoot there. are yeah. seen in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, Prop Hacks, who has commented before, said, so I leave Fitchburg and find out years later that we have Bigfoot sightings close that eventually moved to PA, which has the third most sightings. <laughs> Great. Why do I have a feeling you guys have something to do with this? <laughs> and if you read this, just call me Patrice. Oh, right, because I was trying to figure out how to say her handle last time. Oh, yes. Prop Hackius? Prop Prop All right, Patrice, that's much easier. <laughs> so Patrice, uh, the Bigfoot are following you, or you're following them, yeah, I guess. Right. Um, then we put out a poll, Ronnie. Do you believe Bigfoot roams Pennsylvania based on the 1,300 sightings in PA? Uh, and that poll ended, 60% said, yup, 40% said, hell no. So the yups mm. have it. More of you monsters believe that there are monsters in PA than not. We also received uh, an email from Ozzy Paul, who sent Ozzie us a... Paul. Uh, have you seen this Boeing 747 followed by a UFO, an out-of-this-world encounter, Japan Airlines Flight 1628? Well, we'll take a look at that and, and follow up on that. I had never seen that one. Here's one, uh, Ronnie. Let's see. I'm trying to pull these as fast as I can. Let's, let's go to Bethany. Bethany says, uh, Maddie, Ronnie, my husband and I love your podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. Well, thank you, Bethany. It is fascinating and very entertaining. We've been telling our friends and family to check it out. Please do what Bethany's doing. Oh, thank you. That's all we got. Share. Please. No offense, Pod 617. We don't have a multi million dollar <laughs> marketing budget. <laughs> I told my mom about the Andreessen affair. <laughs> Dave's going <laughs> to be. <there. laughs> oh, let's talk about the Pink Floyd oh, paranormal connection. Oh, yes. my God. Didn't even mention them. Uh, back to Bethany. <laughs> Welcome to the ADD podcast. <laughs> I told my mom about the Andreessen affair since we both live in Ashburnham, and after reading about it, she came across the attached letter written by Betty's stepson saying it was all a hoax. I've seen that, yeah. I thought it was interesting to hear another perspective and <clears throat> thought you guys might be interested. Uh, before, uh, and this is great book, Ronnie. My husband and I were so disappointed we couldn't get to the book signing last weekend. I hope it went well. Did it go well? It was great. All yeah, right? great we love seeing you guys at the sanctuary. Oh, we met them at the sanctuary. Yeah. Apparently, it was a great time. Have a nice weekend, Bethany. Uh, Ronnie, talk about this letter supposedly that says it was uh, faked. Yeah, so she had married uh, Bob Luca, and they moved to Florida. And I guess his son. Do you know what she said when they met? When he introduced himself to her. Oh, God. Go can ahead, I, David. Can I guess? Go ahead, David. <laughs> My name is Luca. Boom! <laughs> Does she live on the seventh floor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Upstairs. Go ahead. Upstairs? <laughs> I live. What a weird song. It is a weird it's song. It's a sad song. You know, I do an unbelievable imitation of her. Yeah. Please. Please. Do you want to hear it? Please. Yes. Another please. Maddie imitation? Please. Yes, please. Suzanne it's Vega. This is my Suzanne Vega imitation. I used to make people at parties die with this. You ready? Oh I actually can literally sound like her. Hold on. Wait, hold on. Ready? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Give me a little background, background music. music? <laughs> Here we go. Okay. It's such, they're so fucking good, by the way. Like those. How infectious are these riffs? Oh, they're awesome. Oh. Um, 
so go ahead. What about this letter, Ronnie? Yeah, so he had come out and saying that they had made this whole thing up. And the now, new husband. Yeah, the, the the son of the new husband. Oh, the and, son of her second husband. Right. Or new and, husband. Um, you know, the, this has been studied and investigated. This yeah. had also... Yeah. Uh, you're so going to question that. Like, either he thinks he, you know, he deserves some money he didn't get, and he's going right. to say, you know, like, you never know what's kind of going on behind the scenes with some of these situations. Yeah, I, I think that's... Uh, when you... When you weigh, listen, I don't, I don't reject it out of hand. He might very well be true, and it might have all been made up. But right. What we went through that case on this very podcast. There's a lot of compelling evidence about that case. Yeah. A lot of strong corroborative eyewitness testimony of the people who lived it. And then on the other hand, you have one stepson saying it was fake. Right. And Betty's still so, alive. She's still yeah. around. And I've reached out to her several times. I will get her on this podcast. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, Betty, you want to go to see White Snake? <laughs> oh, God. That's not a snake. And I ain't talking about the David Coverfield band, baby. It's going to go deep purple. I saw him in Vegas. David, David Coverfield's the worst, music, worst magician in Vegas. Pull a White Snake out of his hat. <laughs> what have I got in here? It's, it's a white snake. What's this? <laughs> oh my god, we've lost all control of the show. It's uh, I'm taking over. All right, we yeah, we <laughs> should. <laughs> that was me. That was just That's enough me. monster mail. Everybody, uh, please send us mail. We love yes, it. It's my favorite you. part of the show. I thank want more you. of it. You know what's funny? I collect this mail throughout the week, and then we get so into the episode, I, I don't have time to get to it. All right. But the list of actors who have seen or claimed UFO encounters is as long as the magi- magicians. The magicians. <laughs> Musicians. <David Cloverfield. laughs> um, you know, ranging from Russell Crowe. Right. To uh, oh, Fran Drescher says she was straight up abducted. Yeah, her and her husband. Yep. Um, all kinds of actors Does claim this. Does that explain this. the voice? <laughs> maybe they maybe they put an implant in her uh, yeah. trachea. That's why they brought her back to Earth. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You can have her. Yeah, yeah, please. What? What are you doing? Ah! They were gonna come here and give us the secret of the universe. They heard her. They're like, all right, you These can people have are on their own. Um, so you know, I count me among them. Now I am a well. I was a paranormal experiencer long before this podcast, as you know, Ronnie. Um. But then I saw a UFO with you, so you can put me on a list of actors who have yeah. seen a UFO. Um, Are you an actor? I was. I've kind of, I'm kind of semi-retired. Now I'm a host. You want to see his IMDB page? IMDB me, yo. <laughs> um, but let's go to, you know, probably one of the most significant. He's the Tom DeLong of actors. Yes. Would be former Saturday Night Live alum and beloved actor Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd has a long history in ufology. He's been singing this song for a long time. He's got family connections to it. And he has seen, I believe, four craft UFOs, unexplainable craft. And he's had men in black. That's what we have. So we have sound here of Dan Aykroyd talking about his men in black experiences. So he's had four UFO experiences. He knows his shit when it comes to ufology. He's like, he's he's an encyclopedia. He was doing a show. (laughs) This ties into what we're talking about tonight in part mm. one of this very episode. 
uh, he felt like he might be being tracked at one point because he was doing this show where they were kind of blowing the lid off some of this stuff, much like Tom DeLonge ended up doing. Oh, yeah, he, he hosted is, something. He hosted yes. a show when he was like having these compelling UFO witnesses on and talking about underground secret bases mm-hmm. and talking about abductions, the truth and reality mm-hmm. behind abductions. And in this clip, what you're about to hear is, I cut to the meat of it, but basically he had just found out his show was inexplicably canceled after having all these, you know, very provocative guests and very provocative conversations. Mm. He steps outside after finding out his show is canceled. He's on the cell phone and uh, Britney Spears, by coincidence, had called him about a Saturday Night Live appearance. And I think she was hosting and she wanted him to appear or something like that. So I'll let him continue. This is what Dan Aykroyd says happened to him on the streets of New York City while on the cell phone with Britney Spears just after finding out his paranormal show was mysteriously canceled. Phone rang. Uh, I, I, oh, Brittany, how you doing? Oh, sure, of course I will. I turned away like this. I turned back and there was a black Ford across the road, a black Ford sedan. And I, I was trying to look at the plate and the plate seemed kind of like fuzzy and I was, you know, definitely a police car. And two guys were there and a big, big, tall guy got out of the back seat and he stood in the street on, um, on 42nd Street it was. We, we were at 42nd Street and 8th Avenue and he looked right at me. And literally, I mean, I was on the phone, hey, oh, sure, of course I'd like for the show. Saw the Ford, went back like this, turned back like a half second later, and it was gone. And that car did not go past me. It did not make a U-turn, because I would have seen 42nd Street. I would have seen that thing take a U-turn and go away. That car vanished. That car was a cloaked vehicle of some type. And whether this was like a warning to me, because the guy got out of the back seat, gave me a real dirty look. That car vanished. I know what I saw. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, was, it was just this fast. It was, oh, hi, Brittany, sure. Oh, of course, I'd love to. God gives me a dirty look. Oh, well, sure, car gone. That's what happened. And uh, then two hours later, uh, we were told we were not to continue taping, and the show was canceled, and none of them would air. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the timing of know. that. So, Ronnie, talk about <clears throat> that experience. What do you hear as an expert when you hear him tell that story that rings true to you? So with Men in Black, where they will show up in these black crown Victoria Fords, they look like they're perfectly clean. Some of them look like they're from the freaking 70s. And they'll, they'll show up after these UFO encounters in the desert, and the car will look just perfectly clean, like he just said, just appeared and showed up. And so they're almost like seem to be like time travelers. Mm. Like they're popping in and out and like you say in the cloaking, but a lot of these stories, it's like they see them and they're gone and they act weird. They act like they're aliens. And it's almost like they're trying to like, I guess, manage this whole yeah. information, you know, this. And isn't it creepy how he talks about the license plate being like hazy, almost like yes. they're in a different dimension and or he, or as cloaked as he says, so matter of factly. Right. God, it's incredible. And I had a, there's another gentleman. We'll have him on, hopefully in season three. Who had worked for the Air Force was with Rendlesham uh, Military Police. Had what looked like Men in Black were following him. Yes, that's right. And there was a black car. He was in Germany now. I think it was yeah Germany. And he said there was a black car that had New York plates in Germany. Holy shit! And he just thought it was very odd uh, that this. These guys were there, and they were talking kind of like a broken accent. And you just assumed they were German, but they had New York plates in the car in do you Europe. you have your papers? <laughs> Let me put you on the spot. What do you think men in black are? I think that they are alien. I don't think that they're 
Uh, I think the CIA and, and other organizations will pretend that they're men in black. They will t- almost like mimic them. But the ones, the true ones that they talk about that are pale, they seem to, you know, glasses, they don't seem real. They talk, mono, you know, very monotone. They seem to show up in these weird times. People have talked about them communicating with them telepathy, you hmm. know. So they're, I feel like they are something else. They're not human, in so my opinion. It's so interesting. Um, why don't we talk to a real live actor, son of a Hollywood legend, who, by the way, in this interview, drops a bombshell about his father. This is Tony Arkin. Mentioned him on the podcast a million times. He's the only... He's a big fan of the, sh- the friend show. I have. He is. He's a huge Monsterland <laughs> fan, which is really cool. It is awesome. Uh, Tony took... Tony and I met in my New York City years, Ronnie, and right away I was, you know, man crush alert. I was smitten by him. <laughs> he's just so fucking cool. You know, he grew up in the business. He grew up going to movie sets with his father, and his father's a, one of the big stars in the 70s, Alan Arkin, and he... Tony's got like the sleeve tats. He's just like everything I'm not. He's just like cool. And he's like, he's been there, done that with, in the acting biz. And one day we were having lunch and I don't know if I've told the story in the podcast before, but I was kind of lamenting and complaining about, wow, I wish I, I was talking about, I was just in a funk, you know? And I'm just like, I, I, I was mad because my, com- my commercial career was doing awesome. I was doing really well and I was making a great living as an actor mm-hmm. so I should have just shut my fucking mouth and just enjoyed <laughs> it. But I was mad that I wasn't doing enough legit stuff. Legit, if yeah. you don't know, is a term we use in the industry. Not you, I mean the listener. Um, legit is is theatrical, film and television. So there's scripted film and television and hosting and all that like yeah. I do. And then there's commercial work and I was killing it in commercial work. Legit was not so great. And I'm just I'm just in a shitty mood and I was like, and meanwhile, I'm making my live as an actor for like the 10th year in a row. And Tony's just listening to me eating. And I'm like, I'm going to take like a, I swear to God, I was like, I'm going to take like a carpentry carpentry class or something uh, so I can make a table or something. Because what I do is bullshit. There's nothing, there's nothing to show. Tangible, yeah. And he friggin' snapped at me. He's like, stop it. Stop what you're doing. Knock it off. And he just gave me this rocky speech about, look, like you've, you've chosen this endeavor because you have a gift at doing it mm. and you are making a great living doing it. And I understand you want to do that stuff and that's great. And you can have that goal. He's like, but do not, <clears throat> you imagine a world without what we do, like without right. entertainment, without, you know, funny things, without mm-hmm. actors, without, he's like, it would be hell. What we do is very important. Right. You're healers, you know, like you're bringing yeah, laughter, and just, you're bringing entertainment. You know, like we're not important. I'm not important. I don't take myself important. But what we do is it, he's like, don't, don't belittle it. Stop it. Yeah. You don't, you build tables. He's like, you fucking build tables. They, you just, they're just not solid. Mm. And I was just like, holy shit. And he was so much more eloquent than that. And from that day on, I was just attached to his hip. I was like Robert Johnson with the blues musicians with him. Seriously, just trying wow. to learn everything from him. Yeah. Soak up stories from him. And then I, at one point on the train, I, I had an hour and 15, an hour and 10 minute or an hour train ride in New York City every day for 13 years, basically on the Metro North. And at some point, I had a, another rocky moment with myself because I was like, oh, my commute, two hours a day on the train in New York City. Uh, poor me. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, what if I made it work for me? What if I stopped complaining and started doing? Because people don't complain and you make it work for you and they're going to and travel. Uh, uh. 
You know, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> Cupcakes <laughs> will knock you down if you let it. But it ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how many times you can get up and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. <laughs> I love that impression. So basically, I was on the train and I had to talk with myself again. I was like, all right, listen, this is your reality again. Make it work for you. So I wrote, I did things on that train that I never would have done. And I, I became, <laughs> I really valued that train time. Mm. And one of the things I did was I wrote something called Pound Ridge, which is just, a, which is I've mentioned it before. It's, a, it's, it's the most proud thing I've ever done in my career, I think. And it's because of Tony Arkin. I wrote a one little sketch thing, gave it to him, and he created. He literally created a world. And it, you know, we put it on Funny or Die, and it did great and everything. But and we pitched it as a series at one point, and I still have a dream that it'll get made because it's fucking amazing. But it's Wait, all him. Matt, yeah, for yeah, those that don't know, mm-hmm. this is a sketch that uh, that you guys performed and and it's on funny or die we yeah can we can it. find it uh hold on I, yeah let's pull it up it's yeah. it's, it's it really translate well on uh, it's pod, really good. i don't think but we can play a little bit no, of it just so our listeners know where to find it what uh, i'm uh, sorry say well, it again what's it called die isn't even like it's like a i don't need funny or dive is like a subscription service what now. is it? it's totally different um thanks a lot will Pound ridge man continues hold on i've got it on um you know what i'm gonna do I have a link right here to it on Vimeo. I'm going to put it on our... Do it. Yeah, I'll put great. a link to it. We can put it in social. the show notes. We'll put it in Please, the show notes. put it in the show notes. I'm going to send yep. it to you now. Um, is that it? That's not it. Uh, no, no. I don't even know if it would be on... But your point is, this was like a legit thing that you were super proud of. Super. That, the yeah. most... I think it's the best thing I ever did in my career. And again, because yeah. of Tony. I had written basically... And, a, and you'll see Manny's acting chops come out with this. He got the best... Great. It's the best performance I ever gave. <laughs> and it's all him. Because I just wrote a one scene as a funnier die sketch. It was just like a throwaway thing. And so we, we booked a weekend at a cabin. Uh, this uh, producer, filmmaker, David Carlson, who's going to shoot it for us. And Tony and I are sitting, I'm showing it. This is going to be a fun weekend, making a funny sketch, a one scene. And all of a sudden, Tony's sitting there. He's like, sit down. I'm like, all right, sit down. We start smoking cigarettes. And he's like, um, I want you to think about something. And he just proceeds to pitch me that, this is way more than a cute little funny scene. This could be a world and this could be a show. And he just, and I just was like, it's yours. Whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. And he completely transformed it into something that was bigger than I ever thought it could ever be. And he got, and he said, I want you to treat this. And he directed me, he truly directed me to like really act, not just be funny, Maddie, like sketch guy, commercial guy, but give a performance with a backstory. And he fucking, we spent a weekend in guerrilla film camp basically making this thing, and it looks like it was a team of 50 people. You've seen it. It's awesome. So it anyway, really long, long-winded way of saying that Tony Arkin's a huge influence on me and my life. Uh, here's the link right here. I'll send it to you right now. Um, and he has paranormal experiences, and he has great insight as to what all this might mean in terms of the artist-alien connection. Within this interview, again, bombshell about his father, Alan Arkin, and he also drops a 9-11 UFO story that'll chill you to the bone. Uh, Here is, without any further ado, Tony Arkin. Tony Arkin, welcome to Monsterland. Thank you, Maddie. It's really, really exciting to be here. Well, it's been a long time coming. We've mentioned your name uh, a thousand, or I've mentioned your name a thousand times on the podcast. Uh, I've heard. I am a fan. I listen to this podcast. Yeah, so I'm I'm aware. Uh, I, I hope this lives up to, even remotely lives up to the hype. 
Well, there's no way it could because I've overhyped you. But <laughs> the 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 point is, Tony, is that you're you're you you know this. I mean, look, we're friends, so I don't have to blow smoke. But you're a huge influence on what I did those years in New York City. You were kind of a mentor to me, and you made me take, of course, not myself seriously, but what we did serious and. Um, and we also shared this love for the paranormal. So let's dive right into it because this episode we've we've really looked at you know the music history between musicians and and the paranormal and just artists in general. And now we're kind of on the acting uh, group of celebrities who have claimed to have these experiences. And and so you're a natural because you've had these. Um, but before we get into your paranormal experiences, which are incredible, I just want to get a little background in terms of. You know, you grew up around acting, obviously, with your father and your family. But when did kind yeah. of paranormal get into your life? Well, you know, it's funny. It started pretty early because uh, I was thinking about um, how to begin this. But it really began with my, my grandfather, with, with my mom's dad, who was, a, I guess, a really early enthusiast on the UFO subject. Um, you know, I mean, he came of age in the in the 20s. So... He was a re he was reading about it, and uh, he had the book collection about UFOs and government stuff. You know, as as long as I could remember. And when my mom was growing up, he was enthusiastic about this stuff. So that that was kind of different. I, I don't think there were a lot of people who were as into it as he was back then. He didn't really ever see anything. He was just fascinated by the whole concept. Um, and I remember he used to take me on walks, like we walked the dog at, at, you know, at night when the stars came out and, and we'd go on like what he'd call UFO walks when I was like as little as six or seven, you know, and look for yeah. them. And I, I don't remember seeing them. I, I, we don't, we didn't have any, you know, sightings that I remember, Maddie, but, um, huh. but, uh, he, uh, you know, he kind of started that off. And then my dad also had a sighting, um, when uh, I think around the time I was born and he was working down south and had a, had a crazy sighting of a cigar shaped craft that went from, you know, perpendicular to horizontal or vice versa. I don't remember which uh, and then took off. Um, and he said he was on a highway with a lot of people who stopped on the road to see this thing. Um, and the government, wow. you know, he called. They, the official announcement was that it was swamp gas. A lot of people called into the local you know, <laughs> base and stuff, and that was then the official explanation. He was like, no, no, that's not swamp gas. But uh, so, you know, that kind of set the tone. And then, and then another thing happened, which was that um, my parents uh, became friends with, um, with uh, John G. Fuller, um, who you probably know from you know, Incident at Exeter and The Interrupted Journey, those two books, among mm -hmm. other amazing And he was a he was um a writer who they knew through through other writer friends in in uh, I guess in the Connecticut area. I think he lived in Connecticut. Okay. Anyway, I grew up knowing him and his wife Elizabeth and uh he was an amazing guy and his books were were big in, in the house, like my dad read his stuff and so yeah, I grew up with it. Yeah, you had. Now, did your dad ever go public with that sighting? Did he ever get interviewed by Playboy or something and talk about it? Um, I don't think he was interviewed by, by Playboy, but I'm going to look into that. <laughs> I don't know why I picked Playboy. I don't know why um, I picked Playboy. I'm sorry. Um, 
but uh, no, well, I mean, I remember he would tell the story to people at, you know, dinner or, or he wasn't, he didn't not tell the story, but I don't think he ever really said it in print or anything. No. Right. It's interesting because in this research, the reason I ask is because it's kind of on my brain because, you know, doing the research, you're doing celebrities who've seen UFOs and there's always the same list of 10. And I try mm. to dig a little deeper, you know, to some kind of weird uh, celebrities, not weird celebrities, but weird tales that didn't make the mainstream media that aren't always on that list of 10, you know, and sure, right, uh, right. father would be a good one. Yeah, I don't know that list, but I, but, you know, I know so many people that have seen things um, that I'm sure that list is huge, but but they may just not talk about it for the same reasons that most people don't. Well, let's get into yours. Um, so you've had a few paranormal experiences, um, some involving UFOs, some involving um, ghosts or apparition. Could could we start, please, because I've teased it on the show before, unless you want to do it in chronological order. I, I think the the most provocative one you had might be the 9-11 sighting because of obviously it being around 9-11. Do you mind talking about that yeah. one? Yeah, no, uh, that, not at all. I don't mind at all. I mean, the, the one thing I will say is that, you know, I have, I have a healthy respect for the research and for, you know, the terminology. So, I, you know, I, I can only tell you what I saw. I can't tell you whether mm -hmm. it was definitively supernatural or not. But I can tell mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yep, I, I do. I, I just saw, I saw some stuff. Uh, in two cases, they were with somebody else who also thought it was very strange. Um, I have no explanation at all for what I saw, but I, I also don't have a definition for it. So, I, you know, um, yep. but yeah, uh, so I, 9 11, I was, uh, I was in Brooklyn where I, where I still live. And, um, it was actually not 9-11, it was 9-12. Uh, it was the night after, I believe, because I don't believe anybody was allowed on the roofs at all that night. Oh, or right. I, don't right. I don't remember being on the roof the night of that, uh, uh, that event. Um, God, I saw it. I could see the towers from my roof during the day. Um, so, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a pr profoundly uh crazy and troubling and horrible experience here for everybody but here in new york it was just it was really uh it was shattering and so the next day i remember just hanging out with my friend uh my my oldest friend um don who also happens to live in the building with me he helped me and my wife find this place so we're we're having a a couple of beers just trying to you know get our our minds around what was happening and we were up on mm. our roof uh of the building um and it was a i guess it was late i think it was probably around one in the morning so it was very dark and i tend to feel like the city was a little darker than usual uh maybe the lights were not as bright that night or something because we could see the stars very brightly anyway it was it was mm. clear and um we were watching the you know just looking at the the sky and it, LaGuardia Airport is is just a couple of miles away, so we see a lot of air traffic going over all the time. So we know what right. the planes look like coming in and out. This was right. coming from the direction of LaGuardia, but it was clearly like satellite height. You know, it was a, it looked like yep. a star at first. Um, it wasn't twinkling; it was just a very bright pinpoint of light, and it was traveling towards uh, directly towards us. 
from the direction of LaGuardia heading north. And um, it got, we, we just assumed it was a satellite. We weren't even really talking about it. We were just kind of looking at it and, 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 and kind of in silence. Uh, and as it got overhead, it, it split into four uh, distinct um, uh, other stars and, and split apart. And it didn't. It didn't slow its trajectory. It didn't like slow down and slowly break apart. You know, break apart. It, it literally just from, you know, from the horizon to overhead, it just went, doop, and then it became four distinct stars, which then split apart and went in distinctly different directions. Mm. Um, and both of us looked at it, and and you know, we were stunned. His dad had, you know experience i think he'd been in the air force when he was young but anyway he worked mm -hmm. uh, you know putting museums together at nasa and he knew you know planes and don grew up watching this stuff so yeah we both looked at each other and was like we don't we don't build that <laughs> i don't think uh wow so you saw it together and then out loud to each other commented like we don't that is not we don't have those type of thing Oh yeah, we immediately we noted it right away, and we were pretty freaked out. Wow, I mean, we were yeah. definitely freaked. You know, it didn't it didn't it didn't change its velocity at all. It just went it just literally split apart, and then the four different distinct uh, lights didn't didn't speed up or slow down. They they continued at the same velocity that the original object was going in four yeah. different directions and didn't accelerate at all they just were at that speed you know right away my god yeah right right and um, yeah it seems to fit with the narrative of like when there's a, a war or tragedy or even nuclear event or something like that they just they are just checking it out maybe you know it just seems to always be around something like that yeah i mean it it certainly uh, it certainly seemed the timing of it seemed weird to us, but again, yeah, you know, I can only, I can't, it's hard to even speculate what that, what that could be about. Um, but yet there it was, and uh, I'd never there seen anything like it till a few years later when I saw almost oh. the exact same thing again, uh, in a different location. Really? I didn't know about this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I was, it was in uh, Canada, um, in uh, in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, on an island off the coast of Nova Scotia called Cape Breton Island. Huh. And I was sitting. I would I wouldn't know anything stuff. about that. Right, I know exactly. We have we have a <laughs> uh, a, a be really beautiful little family home up there, and we have great friends up there. And I go up there as, as often as I can. And um, I was sitting on the on the porch with uh, with our dear friend Jeremy and and. He's he. I asked him actually that night. I said, "Have you ever seen anything? You know, anything weird huh. out here?" I always like to find out the spooky huh. stories, you know, the, the lore when I go to a new place. And um, he yeah. looked at me like I was crazy and said, "You know, no." And he's a very practical guy, very pragmatic, and um, uh, he's also a fisherman. He's out all the time at night, you know. And and he said he never saw anything. So we're sitting on the porch together that that night having a beer and uh we see the same thing i just described over brooklyn wow um, i think this one fit into three pieces not four but um it was the same thing essentially wow 
and we both saw it and he looked at me like he you know he was freaked out because <laughs> yeah. he remembered the conversation we had just had um but you called it yeah you called it you you yeah. brought it up and it manifests yep. unbelievable yeah, I hadn't thought about that until I just put these two stories together in the same conversation, Maddie. But that is kind of freaky, actually. Um, it is very freaky, and it's all—I'm a little freaked out too. You're talking about Ireland in Nova Scotia, and you and I have this—you and I had this connection from the first time we met. We didn't know each I other. It's um, just—it's just odd. It's just odd. I don't know what it means. It might not mean anything, but it's just funny. How far is uh, Oak Island from there? Actually, I don't know, but it's got to be not. It, well, from Cape Breton, it's not too. It's so you you basically it's in Mahone Bay. So you basically land into Nova Scotia. You fly into Nova Scotia, and it's an hour drive up the coast. Um, right. So like Lunenburg area. Um, so Cape Breton is just a just a little further of an island away. I think you know it's roughly okay. the same area. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have, yeah. Okay. So then UFOs, uh, there's two. Was there another one? Yeah, I ha I did have a sighting of something else. Um, a completely different type of thing that I saw in, um, in Westchester in the late eighties. And that was kind of at the tail end of a very, very long, uh, uh, series of sightings in the, in the Putnam Valley. And you know, that those Westchester sightings in the eighties. Um, yep. there was Hot a big bed. flap of sightings, and, and, um, I remember actually at the time being disappointed that I didn't see anything during that whole time, but huh. I, at the very end of it, I, I don't know, I think it must've been 89, uh, or something thereabouts. Um, and I was, I was, again, I was walking the dog, uh, up the street. It was probably about nine thirty or 10. Um, I think it was fall. Yeah. Cause it was dark. And um, we lived kind of at the top of this hill, and uh, over over the tree line over the hill, uh, there I saw this object shoot across the sky. I can't tell you how far away it was, really. I mean, it. I, I'm not really great with that kind of stuff, but um, right. it was it was. I guess you'd call it kind of like this squash diamond shape, but it was it was uh, outlined. It was an outline of. Uh, I guess eight, uh, no, six or eight very bright red lights that were in a in a diamond shape that was kind of or saucer shaped, I guess you could say. But it was outlined by these very very red lights, and it also had a it it had um a uh, like a fiery tail, like it was like an exhaust or something, but it huh. was totally silent. Um, it looked like a, huh. like a, just like almost like a flame, you know? Um, and it, it shot very quickly right across the tree line, over the tree line, over the hill and disappeared. Um, God, silently. Yeah, totally silent. Didn't make any noise, but I, 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 you know, I, I tend, I tended at that time to look up a lot because I was, you know, I was hoping to see something in that night. There it was. That was the first time I ever saw something. Um, wow. And I, I'm not that, 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 you know, that, uh, that exhaust, that, that flame. I don't know what, I've n I haven't heard a lot of, um, not a lot of reports of stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there are reports of, of these things taking off. Like I think Rendlesham Forest, if I remember correctly, or one of the military base ones, when the craft took off, it left a, 
it was like dripping residue, uh, fiery oh, yeah. flaming residue. Yeah, remember that? I, and it, I it printed, you know, yeah. So there is precedent for that. Interesting. Well, yeah, it was super weird. Um, and um, and again, I don't remember making a big deal out of it when I saw it. Um, wow. But it was was distinctly strange i mean it was definitely weird it wasn't like is that could that be a plane or i mean at the time i remember seeing it and going just like what the hell is that thing you know it wasn't slightly odd it was it was really weird um well you were what 10 years old or something you're still talking no i 10 I, i was more like you know i was probably like 17 i no late 80s, oh, okay so i was okay I was I was out of high school. I was probably like eighteen. Okay. Like that, 19. But young. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, you know, and none of these. I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, drinking. I was. I, I had a couple of beers the two other nights we were tied on those those times we saw those little satellite objects. But this time right. I hadn't. You know, I hadn't. I wasn't doing any drugs yeah. or drinking or anything. It was just like you know right. a normal night. Um, and the other person saw it with you in both cases. And, you know, two beers doesn't cause mass hallucinations between no, no, multiple no, people. No. <laughs> um, wow, Tony. And, uh, and then how, how about anything else on the spectrum of weirdness uh, besides well, kind of I, UFO? I, I mean, I did, I did see what I, I, you know, I have to say. I, I, I feel like I saw a ghost. But, I, I again, you know, I'm so interested in, in, in new theories that are, kind of coming out now about the interconnectedness of a lot of these possible phenomenon or or the different meanings which all, all the all the potential meanings of this thing I find interesting kind of equally I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I think you know I mean one of the interesting things about this stuff is that if you approach it from the from the angle of well something's happening it's 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 worth researching just because just because you call it Mass hysteria. Well, that's that's interesting too. You know, it's like, yes. if, if why does it stop there? You know, it's like, well, okay, well, if it's mass hysteria or a mass hallucination, that's not the end of the story. <laughs> you know, that's like right. the beginning of another interesting story. So, um, but at any rate, I was doing a show at the Ford Theater in in D.C. Uh, oh yeah, which is oh my god, famously haunted place um and uh you know we the guy you know the guides who took us through the theater when we first got there were talking about it being haunted i mean it's a thing everybody discusses so it was kind of a joke we'd all kind of laugh about it uh amongst the cast and stuff i mean we didn't it wasn't that we didn't we didn't mock it but we we you know it just was kind of a running gag but um one night we were, I was in intermission and I was standing in, in the alleyway, which is kind of like a smoke break area for the actors between, between um, acts. And you could see the back of the theater and then a kind of an, a little, um, little alley kind of connected to the side of the theater um, mm. where they had store, like some storage stuff and, and just some bare light bulbs hanging in the, in the, but it was a very kind of dim and dark place, but right behind one of these light bulbs, there was this um, this you know human shaped uh, very foggy uh, kind of um, object or or thing, and standing exactly the size essentially as this person would be in the hallway. 
kind of shimmering. Both, both, I, I, again, I saw it with somebody and both of us saw it independently and looked at each other and went, did you, did you wow. see that? You wow. Know, it wasn't, either of us prompted yeah. each other to see it. We just saw it and went, wow, what was that? So right. it, it, and it, and it, and it, and it disappeared kind of before our eyes. And it, so it wasn't, and none of the lighting in that area had changed. It wasn't like a, you know. It wasn't, yeah. there, you couldn't see traffic coming by with headlights. It was a totally enclosed back area. That was, yeah. it was pretty spooky. I mean, that was pretty chilling. Um, and again, it, I don't know how these stories sound, but at the, you know, there's a, there's an element, you know, either you're just kind of freaked out because you've seen a lot of Scooby-Doo or because, you know, <laughs> you're really feeling something that you don't ordinarily, uh, you're not ordinarily around. So that was really strange. Well, it's it's that crossroads moment, not to use a term we've used in this episode, but it's that crossroads moment I always talk about of like, you and I are into this stuff and we think we want it. And then when it happens, sometimes there's yeah. a very bad feeling associated with it. Like, yeah. nope, get me out of here. Yeah. I don't want to be seen. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been more, I, I don't know, I'm, I, I've been more curious than afraid, certainly, about these things. And, mm. and, um, and uh, I mean, knowing people like John Fuller, who, uh, I don't know if you've discussed him on the show or not, have you? No, we have not. No, we have not. But you know who he is, right? The author of Yes, these, I've uh, never, yes, books. absolutely. Absolutely, well, we have an amazing he guy. Like we, he, he was, a, he was totally legit as a journalist. He approached it as a complete skeptic originally, and remained, you know, kind of a healthy with a healthy skeptical attitude all his life because he did believe in the cases that he believed in and didn't want to, you know, go for stuff that was clearly not true. So he, but he was really right. interesting. Wrote a lot of books about various paranormal things that are interesting. Uh, well, you 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 have a well. You should be hosting a, a paranormal podcast yourself because you you've turned me on to a lot of uh, books and and stories and things that I didn't know in my journey in the paranormal. And we kind of trade like we have like a, a kids trade baseball cards. You and I with have you read this know, book? Yeah, you know. yeah exactly. Um, and so I would love to have you on just separately again to talk about this stuff in general. But I I, I want to end with asking you if you draw any connections between the fact that you and your father are artists, for example, and have had these experiences, the left brain, the creative brain, if you will, um, do you think that is, it's just a coincidental cross section of society of celebrities who see these things? Or do you think there is a connection that creative type people might be more susceptible to this type of event? Huh? You know, I, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about that until I kind of heard you guys talk about it on the show a little bit. Um, and honestly, I don't have an opinion about it. I mean, I, I think I've known so many different kinds of people from so many different walks of life that have experienced a variety of, of odd kind of unexplainable things. And, and they're in each case that I, you know, I mean, not an e I don't believe every story I hear or everybody I meet, but I mean, right. I've heard these stories from a lot of very reputable people who are otherwise, you know, cautious and skeptical and, and pragmatic people that, that you, you know, I mean, I've talked to military people and, and airline pilots and just, you know, in the course of life, I've met people and asked them 
we get into a conversation about stuff. And um, so I don't know if it's particularly artists or not. Uh, I think what might be maybe more of the case is that artists have somewhere to put that experience, you know, maybe mm. have mm. a way to deal with it in their in their work, you know, where maybe other people don't. Like, what's an what's somebody who's an airline pilot going to be except frustrated by by something that he can't report? Yeah, but right. at least an artist can write about it or do a painting or kind of try to make sense of it somehow. Maybe that's what it is, you know. Great point. That's really well said. I had I had never framed it like that in my mind. But that's maybe it's just that we it's so much more dramatic or so much more digestible because it's not a pilot talking about the the kind of mechanics of the sighting or the incident, but it's an artist putting it into sure. words that we can all digest. Yeah. Interesting. And let's face it, art, we, we, artists, we have a lot of time to just hang around and think about stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of your art, promote, what do you got coming up? Oh, well, I, um, I'm actually in a show right now, which has been a real blast. I haven't, I haven't been on stage in a while. And, um, so this has been really exciting. It's, I'm doing a play at the Cherry Lane Theater in New York called Original Sound. Um, it's a really, really cool play about the music business um, uh, by uh, a writer named Adam Seidel. And it was directed by Elena Arreoz. And um, it's got a great cast. And uh, that's been really fun. Um, and other than that, I got some film projects that I've been working on for a while. One of them with you sir and i'm looking forward to being able to talk more about that down the line but um that has got yes, actually yes as a lot of the things i'm trying to develop right now has got a kind of um uh paranormal uh, quality to it so um, um ooh excellent developing a few things that i can't really discuss right now but um but uh it's been a busy time i'm looking forward to being able to talk more about stuff when i when i come back cuz i'd love to come back well, we you have to you're the you're the patron saint of the podcast in a way because we talk about you all the time. Um, Tony, thank you so much for the inspiration and for your your art and um, for your interest in this material. And we look forward to having you back, buddy. Hey, man, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Ah, another f-ing pickup. Goddamn. Oh shit, we're recording. Want to go deeper into the mystery? Get the book Monsterland, Encounters with UFOs, Bigfoot, and Orange Orbs by Ronnie LeBlanc. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere fine books are sold. Why did I just eat that brownie? <laughs> Why didn't you stop me from eating the brownie during the What? Am I supposed to? Yes. I've Dude. had a massive coffee, like four pieces of David's pizza, and I've, now this brownies to carry. I've had six of these espresso brownies, and I'm contemplating a seventh. Oh, my God. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <sighs> so good. I'm like a drunk who doesn't want to drink alone. Go ahead, have that brownie. Mm-mm-mm. If I go down, you're going down with me. Thank you, Tony Arkham. Wasn't that a cool interview? Um, awesome. <laughs> How about we just broke world news, I think. Alan Arkin. That's never been Academy Award before. actor uh, saw UFO. That's crazy. And then uh, you can see how it like you know has followed Tony his whole life. Mm-hmm. But... I really want to talk about for a second what he said. He said a gem in that interview. I don't know if you caught that, Ronnie, but <clears throat> I asked him about what his feelings were. And what he said during that interview really kind of changed my mind about the final question that we're going to ask right now. Fact or Falcon? Let's play another round of Fact or Falcon. If you're new to the show and you just 
found us this episode, Factor Falcons game we play, based on an earlier episode. You can go look it up and see what the origins of it are. Uh, but basically, it's fact or fiction. Uh, Falcon being it's fake, it's not real. Um, <laughs> fact being that it is real. So, Ronnie, I'm going to start with you. The artist-alien connection, fact or Falcon, after all the talk, after all the examples we gave, where do you stand? Um, fact, because there's just too much evidence that there is a connection there. There is definitely some kind of motivation to use artists to help propel humanity, whether it's through the arts, music, laughter, what have you. There's definitely a connection. Definitely a connection. Do you think it's a unique connection? In other words... Do you think artists are disproportionately, that's the question, mm. are artists disproportionately targeted? Yes, I would say so. I was going to say yes to that question, but what Tony said in that interview really kind of made me hesitate. I still think it's probably a fact, but I have a little bit of falcon in me that maybe, <laughs> thank you. That's my inner. <laughs> Your inner falcon. Yes. Actually, was that Yoko calling? Yeah. That's your cell. That's phone. what I hear when Yoko that yells at me. Cell. Oh God, I left. I left the. I left the dishes in the sink. <laughs> hey Yoko, uh, Max did a school dance. You want to maybe? <laughs> what? It's. Our, I didn't know it was our anniversary, Yoko. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was going to completely say fact, but Tony said, you know, I asked him that question and he basically said, well, I don't know. Maybe it's just that artists are really good at contextualizing these experiences. So maybe... These could still happen to normal people. And, and it does. We know it happens on. to scientists yeah. and farmers and, and, and Betty Andreessen and... but. Although Betty's an artist, so that's maybe a bad example. Right. right. So. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen some of those pictures. <laughs> generous. Mm. Uh, but, but no, but uh, yeah, maybe it's just we feel like there's more of a connection because they reach more people and they have a way of taking these things. Interpreting it yes. differently, right? And, like, and, and so it seems disproportionate, but maybe if we look at the totality of the population, it's just... It's just they happen to be artists and they happen to put it in a way through their art that really stands out. But right. just as many people in the regular world are getting targeted by aliens for other purposes. So mm -hmm. I really don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm ambivalent. I, I don't know. And then definitely when it comes to the artists, it seems like there's a positive That's a good point, right? too. Like there doesn't yes. seem to be. I know we talked about Robert in the beginning. And yes. And the devil, the crossroads, and that. But I feel like a yeah. lot of this other stuff has been almost like a a move forward and evolution of humanity and a positive yes. piece of it. Which well, is we look back to earlier in this episode with my father and the millions of people like him who saw socioeconomic divides just fall by the wayside because of the work of Elvis Presley, right? The persona that he was, the millions of people, probably I'm sure billions by now who have for generations now been affected by the music of the Beatles. Yeah. And their message was basically peace and love, man, when you boil it down, right? Right. Oh, God, he was so good. You know, that 68 comeback special, David, could you look that up real quick? Just find a, like, do like, okay, 
just a you know about that special, mm. right? Where he came back from the army and he's all nervous and they were supposed to do this big stage thing and they were just like, no, you know what? Put him in the leather, sit around with the band. The drummer's literally playing, for you kids don't know, Elvis went in the army. Look at that man. I mean, that is, I, look, I'm a heterosexual. That is a beautiful <laughs> man. He does look like an alien. He doesn't look like us. So he was supposed to do this big comeback from the army, and they're going to do this big glitzy '70s style show. And they just decided, no, put him in the leather, sit around with the old band. The drummer's literally playing the fucking guitar case. Listen to him sing. I mean, has a human ever looked cooler than that? Man. Has a human ever looked cooler than that? There's something about his face that looks almost not human. It's, like, <laughs> it's right? so, so it's true. So, like, yes. It's like so perfectly sculpted. Yes. Like it's, yeah. yes. it's like perfect rectangle of a face. And his somehow. eyes, yeah. he was yeah. special. He was special. If he wasn't alien, if he wasn't a hybrid, he was special. He was better than us in a way, you know, better than a normal guy. Play, look up uh, Lottie Miss Claudie on this same special because I just want to hear a little bit of that. Um... Yeah, Ronnie, I mean... So he, he was from another plant, like Jimi Hendrix. Right? And, Jimi Hendrix, another example. Oh, my God. These guys were... Okay, so that's the question, Ronnie. Were these guys special? And then, Now, here's another way to ask mm. the question. Were they so special as humans, just great special humans, yeah. thereby used by aliens, or were they created, in effect, and... and Used by aliens. Ooh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, Given something by aliens. Like, okay, if you had who can accomplish this mission the best, and this this guy would be in the position to do so, would have right. more influence. Let's plug in it with this right. way. Or like Dave was just saying, he looks alien. He, he looks does. like he's he's not from around here. You know, the special, almost angelic. Yeah, you know, the angelic, voice. Good way to say it. The yes. movement, everything. Yes. Now, I guess it doesn't matter at that point, although in Elvis's case, like the blue light around the house right. the day he was born would indicate that he was a product or at least targeted yeah. from day one by whatever, angels, right. aliens, whatever we call them. Um, but that it, I guess it doesn't matter what came first, the chicken or the egg. The point is, listen to this guy sing. This is... Would you sing that Lottie Miss Claudia one time, man? <laughs> first time, 12 years. Well, Lottie, Just the right amount of sweat on his chest. <laughs> I know! I know! Now his voice fills up that theater. I mean, it's just, I got the chills, you know? The and this is now. Put that in the bottle. This is now, right? right? So imagine, like, back then, holy mother. If I may quote my father, pure, pure energy. <laughs> <Whatever he said. laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think we've, we've made our case. You can decide, monsters. I hope you liked this episode. Share it if you liked it. This is our big 
Woo! That was a lot of material, guys. Uh, I really got to thank Carrie and David, producer Dave. Oh, I my mean, God. Uh, Yeoman's job, man. We threw clips at you. We threw stuff at you last minute, and you just did it. Um, thank you. Ronnie LeBlanc. Season, season two, two, man. Boom. Season three. I can't wait, though. It's going to be even well, better. So season three, Ronnie, you were talking about kicking it off with something special? Yeah, yeah we're going to do something fun, right? I mean, something bang. We Like season two, we did Watch Who Sit Brewing Company. Yeah, right, we had a whole right, live thing. Right, right out of the gate. Do something. Yeah. So, why do you have that look in your eye? I don't, well, maybe we do something like this. Number two on our most haunted list is the USS Salem in Quincy. Launched on March 25th, 1947 in Quincy, and nicknamed the Sea Witch by her crew, the USS Salem never saw combat, but certainly was a harbinger of death. In fact, the area beneath the mess hall became a makeshift morgue during the earthquake off the coast of Greece in 1953, and it's estimated that at least 400 dead bodies were kept on the vessel. On board, there's a motley crew of resident ghosts, including the Burning Man, who supposedly smells like death and hides in the birthing area beneath the third mess hall, where the bodies were kept during the Ionian earthquake. Hall. There's also a ghost girl who speaks Greek, a salty sea captain, mm, a, a salty sea captain, dog, <laughs> Sounds a delicious. who likes to keep the kitchen in order, and a man named John, who reportedly gives tours of the USS Salem in the afterlife. Okay. A lot of bodies brought aboard the ship. A lot of people. A lot of people died on that island. Slow motion. <laughs> okay. It's pretty bad. Uh, look, it runs all over the place. Whoa! Watch out, says that bird. It was got a snake. Oh, it's chasing a jackal. Oh my gosh! It's the same guy. Oh, the honey badger. Same voiceover guy from USS insane. Salem. Is the honey badger guy? Uh, well, whoever did that voiceover, Ronnie, uh, I want to go on the ship with him and you. Oh my god. Uh, we we misnamed, by the way. Uh, I think you called them Phil. I did call him Phil last time. Yeah. Don is Don, our connection sorry, to USS Salem from the Greater Boston Paranormal Associates. Uh, we met him and Amanda, one of his investigators. Uh, Don's going to get us on that USS Salem. You just heard the little teaser yeah, trailer baby. for um, done by the Honey Badger guy, apparently. <laughs> uh, can't wait to do that. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a blast. Uh, I'm going to literally freak out. <laughs> uh, there will be video with that. Yeah. That one. So you tell us, monsters, uh, Alien artist connection, much ado about nothing, or do we make the case? What say you? What did we forget? What examples do you have? Do you believe that music and art is a, at times, perhaps many times, a message from our alien overlords if they exist? Um, I want to leave you with something a little different tonight, Ronnie. Mm. Um, the one thing we weren't able to get together that I worked on for a long time was an interview with John Hogg. Ah, lead singer. John is the lead singer of the Magpie Salute. Magpie Salute is the band headed by Rich Robinson, formerly of the Black Crows. Um, Mark Ford's the guitarist, also formerly of the Black Crows. Sven from the Black Crows, the bassist. Um, My favorite band, Magpie Salute. I love them, I love them, I love them. I've talked about it on this podcast before. But John has a connection to the paranormal, and him and I have been chatting via messenger about that and we've been trying to get him on the show i think he's in the studio and he's in england so there's a Which five hour time yeah. difference uh so right now <laughs> it'd be like 3 30 in the morning for him <laughs> as we sit here so i just didn't want to do it to him i didn't press too hard yeah 
in general terms, he was like, yeah, mate, I'll do it. And then I was just like, well, we film at 8, 8 o'clock. Can you do it at one thirty in the morning? I just kind of, you <laughs> well, know. Maybe I, we get him for season three. We definitely can. Yeah. I will get him. He's willing to do it. He will do it. Great. He said he was going to send me a video of an orb he has. Oh, like He's awesome. wicked into the paranormal. I've said it before on the show. But I just was driving here, and of course, I constantly have Magpie Salute on my shuffle. I yeah. encourage you to look them up if you love good music, the Magpie Salute. Um, John Hogg wrote this song, Colorblind. And I thought to myself, we talked about positive messages right. from somewhere, mm-hmm. whether it comes from the artists themselves or from somewhere else, whether it be aliens or just that great song in the sky, as we said. And I truly believe that this song is like a post-racial anthem it's for a message. new generation. Yes. Yeah. And uh, John Hogg wrote this song basically based on his experiences. Um, and he has a line in it that I think is so powerful. He talks about the color of his skin. And then he also says, don't mean nothing to me. And I'm like, oh, yes. Are we, are we truly going to get post-racial at any time? Right. Please. And he says, I am colorblind and I am free. Mm. And so I just want you to listen to the song as we sign off. I think it's a great message, a great, great song. We leave you season two. Enjoy, everybody. Thank you, Ronnie. I love you, you, my brother. I love you. I love you, you, buddy. Thank you for joining us on the Monsterland Podcast. If you or someone you know has an experience to share, or if you have questions, you can reach us at monsterlandreport at gmail.com. Find us on social media at Monsterland Pod. Until we meet again in Monsterland. It ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how many times you can get up and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done!